You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? Uh, this is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle, MyAggieNation.com. Over there is Alex Miller. What's going on, Alex? Not a lot, Travis. Just hanging here in the office on a Wednesday afternoon. And we are so glad to be joined by John Puglisi, uh, who is going to help us break down a little bit of Texas A&M basketball. John, what's going on, man? Yeah, Travis, I appreciate you having me. I'm excited to be uh, the phone-a-friend from Las Vegas, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I know you've done some work for some other outlets around this area, but for the people who listen to our podcast, know our stuff, uh, what is, um, what, what's kind of your, your background and, and how'd you get into uh, uh, breaking down A&M basketball? Yeah. Um, so I was a college basketball coach for about a decade. I uh, played collegially. I'm from the Midwest actually, um, but I went to the university of Wisconsin Platteville, which is a really Rich Division Three tradition. If anyone's college basketball fans, that's where Bo Ryan got his start and four and won four national championships. Um, I uh, was really fortunate to start coaching collegially right away. I worked for Mike Dean, who was the head coach at Marquette um, and Lamar and Siena and a bunch of other places. Um, and I worked for him at Wagner College, which is a small Division One school in the Northeast, and uh, coached Division Two, coached Division Three, coached AU. Um, I've kind of been all over the country and, and then I coached overseas for a couple of years. Um, my wife got her for her uh, uh, PhD um, from A&M. And so we moved to College Station um, in 2016 without really knowing anyone or, or having any connection to, to Aggieland. And um, I reached out to Gabe Bach from Texags and, and got to start doing some um, just a breakdown of, uh, of A&M basketball and joining, joining the show when when he was on there and um, really enjoyed myself and, and Gabe and I kind of expanded our, our talk about college basketball on, uh, on the show. And I, I became a fan, you know, back to, uh, BK's days, um, and their sweet 16 run. And then, um, into the Buzz Williams era, uh, I love having, a. it's been a long time, I guess, for you guys it, to know, like when I, I was coaching college basketball, I didn't watch a lot of other games. Right. So mm -hmm. like I didn't, I grew up a fan of the sport and obviously um, coaching. I loved it, but I didn't have a team anymore. Um, so I kind of started from scratch um, in A&M and adopted the Aggies as my team and, um, you know, have watched all the games and, and gotten really in depth into what they do. So it's just been a, it's been fun to, to have someone to root for and to be able to break some stuff down and not have to worry about wins and losses. Sure, sure. So, of course, we know A&M is 18 and 11, 7 and 9 in conference play heading into the last two games of the regular season for them. They play Alabama tonight. We're actually recording this on Wednesday before the game uh, happens. So uh, but we, we won't exactly know how that shakes out, but we want to talk about some things generally uh, in the past and moving forward into uh, the future. So, John, what have you seen from this A&M team so far? Um that kind of has gotten them to this point that included a really long win streak and a really long losing streak, uh, heading into these last two games. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at, this is a tale of two, two seasons for them, really. I mean, you talk about starting 15 and two and having some, some great wins. I mean, um, and even the couple losses that they had were, were good games. And, 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 you know, that was Wisconsin and TCU. I mean, Wisconsin has proven to be, 
the best team in the Big Ten with their Big Ten championship that they won last night um, uh, against Purdue. And then, um, you know, they they lost to a really good TCU team, um, you know, and TCU's had, had, a, had a good season. So they start 15 and two and they have all these new pieces. Right. And, and, and I think anytime you have new pieces and you start with a front loaded schedule that is a little bit soft, you don't really know what you have. I think AM thought they turned a corner when they came back and beat Notre Dame, you know, huge second half. Right. And, and, and that went a really long way, but they didn't follow that game up with really high level competition. I mean, they, they lost to TCU, but they had new Orleans and then TCU. And then they played Oregon state. Who's one of the worst power five teams in college <laughs> basketball, Northwestern state and Dallas Christian. So you followed up a, a Maui Invitational that was actually here in Vegas. I was at the games um, where there were some highlights with some games that were softer. Um, but their, their schedule set up perfectly for them because after that, they had four winnable games in the SEC with, with Georgia, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and I think Missouri. And they will go 4-0, and right? And people are starting to talk about their chances at making an NCAA tournament and, and, and they're 15 and two. And then you look at their calendar and their schedule and you think uh, this is a gauntlet right now, you know? And so there were people always talk about like the next three games or next four games. Well, when I had any conversations with any, I said the next eight games are going to make or break this year. And I, I mean, I'm on, I'm on tape somewhere saying that exact thing. Like, don't talk about the next four. It is the next eight. And they lost eight in a row, you know, with, with good, I mean, against good opponents. And what I told everyone, all they needed to do was split, which means that they beat four teams that they can beat or three teams that they can beat. And they at least win one game that they probably shouldn't because mm-hmm. it was, Kentucky, Arkansas, who they'd already beaten, LSU, South Carolina, Tennessee, Missouri, LSU again, and Auburn. And when you look at that, you say, okay, we can beat South Carolina. We can beat Mizzou. We should be able to split with LSU because we've got them at home and on the road. And then what other game can you win? Well, we've already beat Arkansas, but we got to go to Bud Walton. But, you know, instead they lose eight in a row. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And so then you're you're trying to figure out like, where do we go as a coaching staff and um, how do we turn this thing around? And so they beat Florida and they lose to Vandy and then they win games against, um, against uh, Ole Miss and Georgia. But like, you know, they have zero quad one wins. They, they, they haven't been good against the top hundred. I think the biggest, and I know I'm kind of going on a rant here, but I think the biggest kicker for them was that loss at LSU when they, they had it mm-hmm. like that was they, LSU was without two starters. They had a and had so much going in their favor in that game. LSU lived discombobulated at times. You were coming off the loss in overtime to Arkansas, which today isn't a bad loss. So if you can mm-hmm. win that LSU game, maybe you're, you're on the right track and they just, they couldn't get back to it. And this team has struggled for a lot of reasons, um, but their schedule was, was the kicker. It was that eight, obviously that eight game stretch. 
you know, there's kind of been some mixed feelings about Buzz Williams this season. Obviously, they started really hot. And as we've pointed out, you know, went through that pretty tough stretch, you know. But what have you kind of made from him as a coach? Uh, you know, it's year three, but he's really kind of had to start over a couple of times, especially after last year season really getting derailed by COVID. So I think people often take my my analysis of Buzz and the job he's done at AM is like I'm a Buzz hater. I'm not. I'm, a, I'm actually a really big Buzz fan going back. Both my parents are Marquette grads. Um, my dad was the pe- president of the Marquette Booster Club back in the early <laughs> 90s. Like, I grew up a ball boy at Marquette. So, like, I have an affinity for Marquette basketball, and I was a really big fan of Buzz Williams at Marquette. Um, he was at Marquette when I was at Wagner. And actually, um, if it wasn't for a mistake on our staff's part, the Jimmy Butler experiment at Marquette would have never happened because we had Jimmy coming to Wagner um, which is wild to think about, but he was a Juco kid without a lot of people interested in him. Um, but I think Buzz took a route in when he got the job, what, 2018? He took a route in 2018 that you take in 2010 or 2005 or 1999. You keep your players on, um, on the roster. You try and bring in a couple freshmen late. And you try and build up the roster back up like that. That's something you did in 2000. In college basketball and today, if you look at the staffs that were hired at the same time as Buzz Williams, all of those staffs came in and they quick turned over rosters, right? They went transfers. They went grad transfers. They brought in all these guys, right? Well, he had Chuck Nebo or uh, he had Nebo and, and, um, and Chuck Mitchell. I mean, that was the, he had Andre Gordon, who was a freshman. He had easy goal taken. He had Emmanuel Miller, but like unproven guys. And then, I mean, he had Mitchell and he had Nebo and, and, and I think he had, did he have Quinn Jackson in his first year? Yeah, yes. he did. Jackson in his first year. Right. So like he didn't take the route that Eric Musselman has taken everywhere that Eric Musselman has been. He didn't take the route that Nate Oates took when he got the Alabama job. These were guys hired at the same time. You know, I gave, that higher an A plus I loved the Buzz Williams to A&M for a lot of reasons, but he didn't take the route that everyone else took and it put them behind and they were bad offensively for two years. I mean, last year you can throw it away if you want, or you can keep it, whatever, but they were bad. And, um, and this year you saw turnover Marcus Williams, right? Henry Coleman, you got all these guys coming in plus some high level freshmen with Wade Taylor. And, you know, I still am really excited about Ashton Smith. There's a lot of guys I'm excited about on this roster um, with the development of a guy like Quinn Jackson, you know, I mean, you got Ethan Henderson from Arkansas, Javante Brown from UConn. You, you turned over this roster and the headliner for him besides Henry Coleman, they were really relying on Marcus Williams. Mm -hmm. And you can tell based on the first 20 games of this year, look at his stats, look at his usage, look at his involvement in pick and rolls, but they weren't playing anybody. And Marcus Williams was still in Wyoming mountain West mode. This is the sec man. Like, and so I thought they really did him a disservice offensively. Um, I thought we were going to see these sweeping changes and, it's, it's this, it's a third year in a row where this team has struggled. And I like buzz for a lot of the things he does. Not a big, like 
you know, the hashtags and the social media. And it's, I don't love that stuff. It's just not what I grew up in as a coach. Um, but they've struggled offensively. They've shifted a lot defensively and they hitched their wagon to Marcus Williams and that experiment didn't work. And, and, and I think a lot of where they are today has, has to do with that. Um, and not really knowing kind of who they were as a team, but this is a good roster. I love the question because, like, the one thing I get buzzed for, or credit for, this roster has SEC talent. It's not like it, it's not full of talent. It has SEC talent. They just haven't figured out the buttons to push. And again, that eight-game losing streak just killed them. Yeah, you know, when I hear conversations and people talking about how some of these are the worst losses, and this is a, a bad basketball team. I mean, last year was a bad basketball team. When you want to look at guys like Henry Coleman, Wade Taylor, the guy that I think. I got to go see a practice and I realized it's one practice worth of sample size, but it's more than some people get to see. And Manny Obaseki was just tearing it up. I think he has the ability to be, there's some good building blocks to this team and some good building blocks that for some of them have already used up their transfer. So it's like uh, my fiance, like to say, it's like uh, freezing a white elephant gift. You're uh, it's, it's locked. They're locked up. Do you, do you see, the the pieces for the future um there when 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 you when you look at at this this squad i do i mean i i don't think without an inside look i mean i watched manny in high school and i watched him play you and i um his game translates to this level i i think he's going to be a i think he has the potential to be a star in the sec in sophomore junior year um i I think the problem that they're running into is one size in SEC play and is two. Um, I don't think they, I think they've changed a lot on the fly throughout the year, meaning Javante Brown started the first handful of games. Then they went away from Javante. And this is my, just my opinion, but they had success going small against Notre Dame in the second half and they won that game because of Aaron cash and his ability to switch five guys and, and then play a little bit smaller with Henry Coleman at the five. And, and they lost track of who they wanted to be early in the year with Javante Brown and Ethan Henderson and Henry Coleman and Aaron cash kind of being like a four headed monster for two positions. And um, when you bring in guys like Manny and you have Tyrese Radford, who's at the end of his stop, who, you know, uh, Buzz knew really well, like you can't bring in guys and not then not play them because in the future, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Transfers and recruits are going to say, well, you only played Manny Obaseki. It was a 94 grade on ESPN's top, you know, 15, five minutes a game. Why would I come play for you? Or you, you, you know, you sat Marcus Williams halfway through the year. Why would I come play for you? You know? So like, there is that side of it. I, you know, Travis, I just, I think this team is, is in a good spot for the future because like you said, you know, can they leave not without having to sit out? I mean, Marcus Williams can go wherever he wants, but he's going to have to sit out a year. Um, but I also like their young guys. And I think if these guys stick around, I think it's a good team. Like I, you know, I mean, I wish Quinn Jackson had a seventh year of eligibility, I would, you know, like, cause I think he's coming into his own and I really like Aaron cash. And, and, and I think Andre Gordon is one of the better leaders 
in the country in college basketball. And I don't think he gets enough credit. Um, but it'll be interesting what kind of turnover happens after this year. Cause you always see it. Like does Hassan Diara want to play behind Wade Taylor. Who's kind of taking the ball, you know, is Marcus Williams going to leave, you know, like Javante Brown want to stick around depending on who they're bringing in, like what's Ashton Smith going to do is Manny happy. I mean, there's a lot of questions that I don't think we know the answers to. And I think it's been impressive that they kept this team together the way they did obviously without Marcus and we'll see what happens, you know, um, you know, obviously that's kind of the, the outlier. Yeah. Yeah. For, for those of you who haven't kept up, Marcus Williams hasn't played in the last three games. Buzz Williams said it's an indefinite uh, leave of absence for him. And they said, when asked if, if he would be welcome back to the fold, if he wanted to come back to the program, he said, well, we'll have to see how that, 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 that shakes out. Um, so, you know, some of the question I've asked a couple of the guys, and, and I know a lot of said of this program and, and the way they're recruiting next year, I think uh, from rankings during about the eighties for the next recruiting class, but, from what we talked about in this 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 team turnover in the transfer portal era, how much can you stock can you weigh into a recruiting class the next year until you see what the transfer portal shakes out? And kind of a, a side note to that, how much of the buzz of Buzz Williams' success here is going to be hinged on here in the next year or two being able to bring in an actual impact five? Yeah, I mean, like, could you imagine this team with Josh Nebo? Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, I mean, Josh Nebo was not, a, I mean, he played in the, at St. Francis, Pennsylvania in the same league that I coached in at Wagner. Like Josh Nebo was not someone who a lot of people were super excited about. Right. Like, but could you imagine if you had a guy like him, but here's the problem. Like anytime you, you talk about like, how about an impact five? Well, who's he going to play with? Cause Henry Coleman is not a stretch four. Henry mm -hmm. Coleman is a, and he's not a back to the basket five. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a 15 feet in guy. So mm -hmm. unless you're doing something to really connect the four and the five where the stretch big isn't necessary, then getting another big, which you need is almost moot unless you go high, low and you play like Tommy Lloyd is at Arizona with the two bigs and you know, like, that's been the thing to me that's missing. It's not necessarily the size. I mean, it is, it is size is, is important, but it's a stretch guy because mm -hmm. Aaron cash. I mean, I know his stats from junior college say he shot like 45% from three, but I think I've seen him take two threes and both hit. I don't know if they hit the <laughs> rim, you know? So like, <laughs> you know, I, I think some of it is the combination, you know, when you play guys like Ethan Henderson and Henry Coleman together, well, they are the same player. You know, and like Jamonte Brown is not super skilled, but when he plays with energy and effort, like he's a, he's a he's a strong contributor on the floor. But I think they need to bring in stretch guys with size um, because I think, in my opinion, that's what they're missing. They're missing a guy who can, you know, roll and then replace out to the top of the key and be a threat, and then you can dump it down low to a guy like Henry Coleman, and and he can make a play. But yeah, they have to bring in someone who can be an impact guy that. The God's honest truth is here, Travis, is it's not happening in the high school market today. If you're not one of the, you know, blue bloods who's getting a top 10 pick. So you have to go transfer portal. And is someone going to want to come in and play for them? I also think you need you need some size on the wing, you know, mm -hmm. and, and Manny, Manny is, is a high level guy with the ball in his hands, but he's 6'2". Tyrese Radford, 6'2". You know, their mm -hmm. guards are 
six foot and below, except for maybe Marcus Williams, who's, you know, six, two. So they don't have six, five guys on the wing, you know, even Q like Q plays like he's six, seven, but Q six, three. So I think they need some size on the wing. They, I think they need someone down low, but I think they need stretch guys and skill guys to, to combine with like what buzzes teams always have been, which is like toughness, grit, intensity, fire, and like a refuse to lose attitude. Mm-hmm. Well, John, we kind of been looking at the future, but here in like in the here and now, right now, as A&M's kind of closing the home stretch of this regular season, you know, Alabama tonight on the road, a winnable game against Mississippi state on Saturday, you know, kind of looking at this season in particular, you know, you kind of had the high of highs and the low of lows mid January. You're starting to question, maybe this team could potentially not sneak into the NCAA tournament. And then a couple of weeks ago, you're wondering if they're ever going to win a game again. You know, I think Travis and I did the math bearing A&M losing their last three games. They're still likely to make the NIT. Um, do you, do you see this season as a success and kind of where do you see the Aggies heading as they close out the, the regular season into the SEC tournament? I think everybody was pretty excited because, you know, in year three at Marquette and year three at Virginia tech, he took those teams the NCAA tournament. He took over a really bad situation at Virginia tech and did a great job. Um, you know, I, I mean, at Marquette, he took over Tom Crean's final four run and, and, you know, he got him back to the tournament every year, except for his last and sweet 16 in year three. I think the NIT is a, is a win. Cause I think postseason is a win, you know, them making the NIT is going to be a product of these qualifying teams and, and, and the conference tournaments, right? Like this is not a lock um, because the NIT also really cares about the type of revenue you can bring in at the gate. Um, So there's a lot that goes into that. I don't think this year is a failure, despite a lot of fans probably feeling like it is because of that huge, eight game losing streak. I mean, you had everyone, I mean, look at like the Kentucky game and the you know, um, Dallas U game. And I mean, Reed arena was packed and people were excited. And so to me, the failure is that you couldn't keep those fans engaged because of that losing streak that you went on. Um, going, I mean, BK's last couple of years at A&M, the arena was widely full. I mean, I went to games against Missouri and different teams. Like, you know, it was, it was a full arena, not, not packed house full, but it was full on, you know, both levels and everywhere. So I think to me, the disappointment is that they couldn't keep the fans engaged by winning a couple games in that eight game um, in that eight game losing streak. I think the future has everything to do with the next five months, because at some point you're going to look at this. Buzz Williams is like the third or fourth highest paid head coach in the country. At some point you're going to have to look at this and say, the experiment was a failure. We got to bring in someone who could turn this over quickly. And you've invested a lot of resources in Buzz Williams. Um, you know, I, I, I think he's been, what was he at? He was at Virginia tech for five years and Marquette for six and, combined nine or 10 NCAA tournaments between those two places. And he hasn't been able to do that. So uh, I think, I think it's a failure because they didn't keep everyone engaged and they had that, that run of, of losses. I think this team could make a run in the NIT if they can get a decent draw. 
because they mm-hmm. still play in the SEC to mm-hmm. the top three league in the country. You know, yeah. so I, I do think there is still a glimmer of hope, which you can do a lot with an NIT run. I mean, I know it's not the sexy pick, right? But like you go to the final four in the NIT, you make it, you host some games in the NIT, you play against some good competition and win some of those games. You'll have me probably singing a different tune. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, me and Alex aren't the basketball guys. Uh, what, what did we miss? What is, what, what, what have you seen from this team? What, uh, what do you see moving forward that, uh, that, that, that needs to be pointed out about this team, not only heading into these final two games postseason, but into that key important summer you said. Yeah. I mean, Quentin Jackson, like if, if I, I mean, I know I I've talked about Q, but Quinn Jackson is the type of guy who makes an NBA roster as a two-way player or a 10 day contract guy. And he ends up filling a role. Um, you know, I know I, I, I have some good friends who are NBA draft writers and AM hasn't gotten a lot of love because they don't have a lot of guys, right. Who are seniors or are going to be in that position. But Q is a guy who I think will impress a lot of people if he can get some invites and, and things like that. Um, uh, Wade Taylor has been terrific. I mean, you know, Wade's still a freshman, so he makes freshman mistakes and, but it's really, and, and I'll actually throw, throw Hassan Diara into that because they both have um, a connection to winning that I think is really difficult to look past. Like these guys are guys who are hungry. They're into it. Um, I think Henry Coleman has been a good surprise considering he really didn't get any burn at Duke. Um, and it's a guy who's averaging, I don't know what it, what his season numbers are, but 12 and six, 13 and six or 10 and six, something like that. Um, I, in my opinion for this team, um, a lot is going to be, Hey, what happens here? You know, like does Hayden Hefner come back? Like no, I have no knowledge of this, but does a guy like Hayden Hefner come back when he doesn't really have a role it's probably too high of a level for him. Does he transfer and you have a spot to bring in, you know, a guy like, what are they going to do with Tyrese Radford's spot? What are they going to do with, with some of these other guys? And what happens with Marcus Williams? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think those are big pieces. The last two games, I mean, this Bama game, they beat Gonzaga and Houston and Tennessee and Baylor and LSU. And they've lost to Kentucky twice, Georgia, Mississippi state, Missouri, and Davidson. You know, like you win this game and you, you beat Mississippi state on senior night and you go into the sec with a couple more wins under your belt. And you're feeling pretty good about yourself to try and advance a little bit because there are some teams in the sec who are hanging on by a thread, mm-hmm. you know, sec has pro- is probably six teams in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, those teams today are Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, Bama, and LSU. But can Florida win enough games in the SEC tournament to sneak in? And does LSU lose a couple or lose, you know, a game early? You know, like Mike, is Mike White's job riding on it? Like there's some exciting storylines in SEC play right now that aren't getting the attention because it's not the Big 12 right now or the Big 10. 
For sure. For sure. Well, about that's about all the time we have this week for the My Aggie Nation podcast, but we're so glad to have a, a, a Las Vegas bureau of the podcast now. <laughs> and we will be definitely bringing on you, leaning on you a little bit more in the weeks to come as it looks like there will be some more postseason uh, play for the Aggies should they be able to take care of their business. Again, also also we have uh, AM Baseball up at the Frisco Classic this weekend getting their first uh, bout at some Power 5 play. We'll see if they can get some run support for those pitchers which has been a little bit of an issue for them as of late. We'll talk about that probably a little bit more next week after that all shakes out. So for uh, John and Alex, I'm Travis Brown. This is the Myga Nation podcast, and we'll see you next week. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way to must have seems. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good love ain't easy, girl, we know that's true If we wanna keep it, we gotta watch everything that we do, yeah, yeah Don't wanna make sure my baby, make sure you're sticking with me Don't wanna make sure that we're